So Zechariah was obviously surprised in that moment of seeing the angel Gabriel there in the temple. Have you ever been surprised by something or maybe even left speechless and just kind of like not knowing what to say? My uh, wife and I, Heather, were traveling. Uh, we were going somewhere. I can't remember where. But she said to me, we need to stop by my parents' house to pick something up. And so I said, sure. And this was about the same, about the time of my 30th birthday uh, was coming up. And so I didn't think anything of stopping by your parents' house to pick something up. This was normal uh, part of uh, routine. And so we swing by the house and we go in the back door of the house and we come in and in their house, in the center of the house is a large room and where you could gather maybe 50 people in that room if you wanted to. And in the, as we walked into the house, it was, it was, I heard this like crying and moaning sounds coming. And as we walked in, we entered into that big room in the center of the house, and there were people sitting in rows of chair, and everybody was dressed in black, and they were waving black handkerchiefs, and they were, were, were fake crying. They weren't really crying, but they were moaning and wailing and crying like they were at a funeral. And I was ushered up to the front of the of this area, and I was put in a rocking chair. And I realized that moment that I was, this was my surprise birthday party, but it wasn't a surprise birthday party. It was a funeral called the death of my youth, because I was turning 30. And so my wife got me good. Heather got me so good in this moment. And I thought about that moment, and I said, in that moment, think about it. I didn't know what to say. In fact, I didn't know what to make. I was so surprised and shocked, and I didn't, couldn't make any sense of what was going on. And I had nothing to say. I was, I was speechless. I didn't know, even know how to react. And so that's pretty hard for a preacher to say they didn't know what to say. Like most preachers know what to say in any moment. But think about that. Have you ever had an experience like that where you've just been surprised or left speechless? Maybe you have a moment in your life. Uh, you feel free to shoot that in the comment section if you're on Facebook or on live stream this morning. Like share with some others what is that moment for you where you were left speechless? Because that's what's happening to Zechariah. He's left speechless. He's, he's shocked. He's, he's in awe of what God is doing in this moment. And he doesn't even, he is actually left literally speechless in this moment. And the other thing about this moment for Zechariah is that God's doing something. And I kind of feel like God's showing off here. If it may, and I'm going to, we'll explain this a little bit. Let's take a look at this. What, what is God doing here? And why did God chose this moment to reveal this message to Zechariah? Because, and we'll see that. First of all, we have to understand a little bit of the context of what's happening. Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests that served at the temple, and those 18,000 priests were divided into 24 sections or divisions. And his division was called up to serve at the temple at this time. They would have done this twice a year, one week, they'd serve for a week, and they would, this would happen twice a year for each division. So all the, and then when they got there, the duties of the priests were divided up uh, with that division, whoever was serving that week. And so Zechariah is serving this week. So if you can imagine... The, the eight, out of 18,000 priests, now there's a section, his section's called up as normal, but then the lot falls to him to offer incense. Now, this is important to understand the probability of this is that this is probably the only time in his entire career that this would have happened, that this duty would have fell to him. And this duty was him going by himself into past this curtain that separated this altar sacrifice and the people from the holy place in the temple. And so he would have gone in there by himself or maybe with an assistant, and there would have been either him or one other, just two of them at most, and they would have gone in and offered incense on the altar. 
this is the only time probably in his entire career this would have happened. So that's another thing to keep in mind. The other thing that we learn about in this text that is also important to understand is that his, there are two things that disgraced a priest or disgraced a Jewish person or made people think of them uh, as though, though God weren't with them or they weren't blessed by God or that maybe what, what we would say is that Zechariah was not kind of like the upper tier priesthood. He was probably one of the lower tier priests in the, in the cultural dynamics of status. Because there are two things that, that distance a person from God. First one was a Jewish man without a wife. That was something culturally uh, relevant for this moment. So if a, if a man did not have a wife in that culture, that was considered a disgrace, or that was considered like you're like far from God. You're not, uh, wanna, you're not being blessed by God. But the second thing that was a disgrace was to have a wife, but no children. And that's exactly what's happening with Zechariah and Elizabeth. So imagine this. So this, he's going to offer incense in the holy place, and he's probably not like the priest you would pick to do that, if that makes any sense. But the lot falls to him to do this. This is a random selection, right? And so, but if the people around him had said, hey, who's going to offer incense? They would not have chosen Zechariah to do this because they would have seen his disgrace in his life of barrenness, of childlessness as a disgrace as a priest. So keep that in mind. The other thing is that when he would go to give incense, what's happening here in this, in this situation is that he would go into this place, this holy place, he would take up live coals from the altar and place on there and place incense to burn incense on those live coals. And this was to prepare for the morning or evening sacrifice. And so every day, sacrifices were offered on the altar sacrifice in the temple, and the incense would happen like an hour before the sacrifice. It was to prepare the people for the sacrifice. And so the people are actually in the temple court, and they're praying. So the people are praying. Zechariah is offering the incense, which was to prepare for the sacrifice. Notice that God uses this moment in Zechariah's life to reveal this message to Zechariah. Think about this. I mean, Mary got the message when she was at home in, in Nazareth. Or think about how Joseph got the message in a dream in, in his home one night. So why here? Why in this place? Why in the temple at this moment does God choose the message to come? Notice who John is. John is the one who is to prepare the people for the Lord. John's life was an incense offering to prepare people for the coming of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They, he was a preparation. And so I, I just love how God works. I am always in awe and wonder of how God lines these things up so that in this moment, as Zechariah is preparing for the sacrifice. He is being told that his son John would prepare the way for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I'm in awe of God when God does things like this because God's always wrapped up even in the details of the timing of answering prayers. Think about this. Think about how long uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for a child and God chooses this moment as a part of his, God's plan, you know? And so this is part of what's going on in Zechariah's life. Notice, though, that Zechariah is left speechless because he doubted. He was skeptical. 
Now, some people make a comparison with Mary and Mary's response and Zechariah's response. The difference between Zechariah and, and Mary is this. Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for a child for years. This has been an ongoing prayer request of theirs. They've been talking to God about this for a long time. Mary hadn't a clue. Mary had not ever asked to be pregnant. Mary had not been praying to God to become pregnant. And so when the angel reveals it to Mary, that's brand new news to her. That's like, where is this coming from? It's totally out. And I believe that God gives Mary a lot of grace in trying to help Mary get her head around that moment. But Zechariah, he, he's been praying this prayer for a long time. I mean, who prays a prayer they don't expect to be answered, right? You're asking for an answer. You're asking for it to be fulfilled. And so here the message comes to Zechariah, and here is the message, the, the prayer is being answered, and his response is not joy and thank you, God. It's, how am I really going to be sure this is going to happen? See, that's skepticism. That's doubt. Instead of the rejoicing that you would have hoped that the answer would have revealed in him, he comes skeptical. Because why? Because he had been praying a long time. And that prayer had gone unanswered for a very long time. So as a result of that skepticism, Zechariah is left speechless. I love the way that commentator Daryl Bach says this. He says, sometimes underestimating God is as dangerous as rebelling against God. Sometimes underestimating God is as dangerous as rebelling against God. Have you ever underestimated God? Maybe God's timing. Maybe you're right now in a moment of waiting for an answer to a prayer. Maybe you're hoping and longing for an answer to a prayer, just like Zechariah. And maybe it has becoming very easy for you to underestimate what God is doing. That's where Zechariah finds himself. And it's amazing that in this world that we live in today, the, the real remedy for us underestimating God and was for Zechariah and is for us today is silence, is speechlessness, is, is that moment of where we just stop speaking so that we can listen for God's answer. Because as long as we're speaking and talking and praying, we're not listening. And so that's part of what's going on even in the world at large. We live in a world that's multitasking and success-driven and trying to do more and get more done. We believe knowledge is power, right? We believe the more knowledge we have and the more knowledge we can give, the more powerful it makes us. And so we think about all things. And then we fill our lives with the cacophony of just sounds and activities and things that we have going on. And we wonder why we're not hearing from God. See, the world shouts at us, whereas God whispers in those holy moments, in those moments of preparation, in those holy pauses where Zechariah is in the temple and there's nobody else around. And that's where God chooses to speak and also asks Zechariah to be silent. So where does God ask us to be silent? Where is God asking us to stop what we're doing, to just pause and prepare. That's what Advent is. Advent is a season where we stop, and we pause, and we prepare. There's a, there's a practice in the monastic life called statio. It's a holy 
pause. That's Latin for a holy pause. It's to stop or to cease doing something before starting something else. It's like you stop doing a behavior or a project or activity before and you pause and you spend time reflecting on that before you even move on to the next thing. That's what statio means, a holy pause. And this was part of a monastic practice. Some people have heard here in our church about Lectio Divina, the divine reading but that was one practice, to li- and that was a way of listening to God through Scripture. But statio is another practice where we prepare ourselves for God. <laughs> and that's what Advent, that's what we're doing in Advent. We're pausing, we're, we're, we're preparing ourselves to hear from God. And just as John was preparing the way for the Lord, just as Zechariah was preparing the way for the sacrifice, you and I are preparing the way for Christmas to happen in us. I love the way that Joan Chittister put Christmas, defines Christmas this way. She says, Christmas is not really Christmas until the Christ is born again in each of our lives and in the community as a whole. So it's not really Christmas until Christ is born again in each of us. So it's not Christmas because we put a tree up. It's not Christmas because we put lights on the tree. It's not Christmas because we went and got a tree. It's not Christmas because all the presents are wrapped. It's not Christmas because we got all our gifts done and we called, got all our deliveries done on Amazon before this week. <laughs> that doesn't make it Christmas. The lights on the house doesn't make it Christmas. All those things don't make it Christmas. What makes it Christmas is Christ being born in us, Christ present in us and in our community as a whole and bringing Christ into the community. That's when it will be Christmas. I love the way that Joan puts it. What if this were the focus of Christmas? To make that our focus, we would have to pause in Advent. We do that for four weeks in Advent. We pause, we reflect, we prepare. We take this holy moment. The other thing for Zechariah, and I think for us, is silence. Silence is another form of a holy pause. To be silent or to practice silence is a, is a really great way to listen for God's voice and to make ourselves available to what God is doing. And Zechariah is left in nine months of silence, not being able to speak. Can you imagine not being able to speak for nine months, having to be in silence for nine months? That, for some people, that's pretty hard to imagine. But it's also in the silence that we will tune our hearts and our ears for, to, for Christ to come, for us to listen to God, to understand God's presence. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're not really listening to them, you're just thinking about the next thing you're going to say? Maybe if you're in an argument with somebody else, you'll think, oh, I got to get this point in or that point. You're not really listening to understand their point of view. You're actually just trying to express your point of view. Or maybe you're in a social conversation and somebody's telling a story and that reminds you of a story happening in your life. So you're thinking about telling your story as you're trying to listen to their story. So you really were not fully engaged and fully present to listen to what the, and understand what is happening and what the other person is saying. Active listening is something that coaches and counselors use. And that is where they, a coach or a counselor will actually even allow silence in the conversation, even wait and not fill in the gap, the emptiness of the conversation, and just wait and allow the silence to be there to take a holy pause in the conversation, to allow that other person that they're coaching or counseling to be drawn out and to allow them time to process their thoughts so that they can truly listen and ask good questions of what's going on in that person's life. 
See, that's active listening. And I think what God is doing for Zechariah and does for us in silence is it helps us to move from this trying to get our words out to really trying to understand the word of God and the presence of God. And so we have to actively listen for God. And Zechariah, for nine months, learned that lesson. The other thing that is another holy pause for us and part of Zechariah's story is repentance. We hear this word repentance in the church. It means to turn around or to make a U-turn or if you're going in one direction, to stop going in that direction and go another direction. So repentance is another form of ceasing or stopping an activity. So the prodigal son in the Bible had to stop running away from home. Uh, there's a Jonah in the Bible had to stop running away from God's call on his life, and he had to stop running. And so all these things we have, there are sometimes we just need to stop what we're doing so that we can turn back to God. We have to actually stop a behavior or a thinking, a way of thinking, or stop a process or, or anything that's getting in the way of us growing closer and understanding and grasping God's presence, experiencing joy and awe and wonder at this season of Christmas. So this is that holy pause, right? So Billy Graham tells a story, the late Billy Graham tells a story of when he was younger, he was studying the scripture and he was having a hard time uh, believing it. Because there's, if you dig deep enough into the scripture, you will find things that don't make sense. You will find things to doubt and to be skeptical about. You will find things that can't be answered in the scripture. And Scripture is divine revelation. It's a way that God reveals God's self to us, right? And so we have to actually learn to listen to it and understand it rather than argue with it sometimes. So one of the things that Billy Graham did was he said, you know, he kept doubting and being skeptical and wasn't sure. And he said, I, he just made a decision to stop doing that. <laughs> he said, I'm going to stop doubting this. I'm going to stop being skeptical about it. And I'm just going to listen for God's voice out of the scripture. And in that moment, it changed. It was life-changing for him. And it actually changed the trajectory of what he did with his life and his career. So think about how he just had to stop that, right? Zechariah needed to stop doubting, stop being skeptical, and start trusting what God was doing. We all find ourselves in those moments where we need to stop that. Sometimes repentance is not about just stopping some bad behavior. It's really about stopping the doubt or stopping worry or stopping the concerns or the fretting or the, the rush, the busyness, whatever it is, the ceasing from some thinking or activity in our lives. In the moment um, when Zechariah finally was able to speak, he was, it was at the moment that he named his son John. And he, took out the, he actually asked for a tablet and he wrote out John on a tablet. And that's what they called, that was the naming of his son. It was in that moment that Zechariah began to, op God opened Zechariah's mouth and he began to do what? Praise God. See, what, sh what needed to happen in the temple nine months ago was the praise of God. God, thank you for what you're doing is now happening nine months later in Zechariah's life. And the people around him who were there, it says, were in awe of what God was doing. It says, all their neighbors were filled with awe. And everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. God, again, is all about timing, all about even waiting nine months for this awe and wonder to happen in Zechariah's life. God's a lot more patient than we are. And that's what I love about our God. You know, 
if we really want to engage in awe and wonder, if we really want to grasp God's presence in our lives, we'll have to learn to cease activity, cease speech. We'll need to learn to be in the moment that God has for us. Uh, you all know that we, uh, we love to backpack. We've spent our lives on different backpacking trips and one particular trip was in the uh, upstate New York, in the mountains of upstate New York, and we had a guide with us. They were actually called Sherpas. Sherpa was a guide uh, from uh, Nepal who helped uh, guide people up to the summit of Everest. We were not on the summit of Everest. We were in a different place, but they were, these guides were called Sherpas, and they were guides to help us on the trail. And a lot of times we would ask questions of our guide, of their Sherpa, and we'd say to the Sherpa, hey, what, what are we having for dinner? Or we'd say to the Sherpa, where, where are we going next? What's, what's our next hike? Or what are we doing tomorrow? Or what are we doing this afternoon? Or like, what, what's, uh, what, what's next? Are we rock climbing today? What are we doing? And so anytime we, someone would ask that question, the Sherpa would respond this way. And the Sherpa would say three words. Be here now. Be here now. Which meant be in the moment <laughs> Stop worrying about what's going to happen next. Stop worrying about where we're going. Stop thinking in the future. Just be in this moment. Appreciate this moment. Have gratitude and wonder and awe for the beauty of creation around you. Take a look around you and just enjoy the moment to pause, to cease the future thinking, the concern about what's next. And we find ourselves in those moments too, especially when God's not answering our prayers. We're thinking, God, when are you going to answer this prayer? When are you going to answer this prayer? Maybe it's time to just be here now, to be in the moment, to know that God's timing is what we trust in. Zechariah was learning that lesson, and maybe we need to learn it as well, to just take a holy pause this season. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together.